Welcome back to That's Ancient History. Today I am joined by a return guest who is Grace Page. When did you, was it first or second season that you last came on? Maybe second? I don't remember. I think it was probably second. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about your master's thesis Mm -hmm. and what you were exploring in that, but now Grace is actually in year two. Are you on year three? Year two. Okay, thank, thank goodness for that. Year two of her PhD with me at Roehampton. So we're going to be talking about a subject that is directly related to what she's currently researching. So for our listeners, could you briefly sum up what you're currently researching? Yes, so my PhD is on the role of natural imagery in the Argonautica, specifically relating to initiation and characterisation, mostly of Jason, but also of Medea and Hylas as well, who's a more minor character. Yes, and we are now off the back of that I'm going to talk a little bit about heroism and initiations in today's podcast and I know you've got a few examples to talk about but let's just open it with the big broad questions and go with what exactly is a Greek hero in mythology? Right, so we could go for a long time on that but we're not going to just a brief overview about what and who we're talking about so here is someone who's not a god but they sometimes have divine ancestry like Heracles being a son of Zeus or Achilles being a son of Thetis um, oftentimes they have special courage or abilities um, there's a big deal in Homer about how they lift rocks that normal mm. men couldn't also comes up in the Argonautica and they're normally off doing something on a quest, on a task, fighting in a war That's basically what a hero is. So I've actually heard Grace talk about this topic before in a classroom setting. And when you talked about it there, you described as part of that quest or the point of that quest as being an initiation journey that this hero needed to go on. And I wondered what exactly an initiation journey is. So the term initiation, how I'm using it now in the modern study of classics, has meant something close to rites of puberty or coming of age. It used to previously mean secret initiation rites into a cult, mm. like the Eleusian Mysteries. Yeah, so when I use initiation, I'm using it to mean uh, a coming of age in Greek culture and society. Coming of age, I prefer to use coming of age rather than puberty, because physiological puberty doesn't always add up to societal puberty. In ancient Rome, for instance, uh, girls could marry at the age of 12, legally, Mm. but the average age for a girl to start her period in that time period was about 15. Mm. So very clearly, they're going through societal puberty and able to be married when they're 12, but not going through physical puberty until a few years later. Mm. It can go the other way as well. You could have physical puberty at 14, but not be able to marry till 18, like Mm. in Sparta. Yeah. So, yes, physical puberty does not equal societal puberty. So when we say initiation, we're referring to the societal puberty, which is the coming of age. So in the context of a Greek myth, what would be an example of a, of a hero experiencing this societal puberty that equates to an initiation? A lot of the um, forms of initiation in Greek myths are sort of loosely based on actual coming of age rituals that happens in Greek culture, but they're kind of... Um, you know the game where you play where you whisper in someone's ear and then it goes through and it goes through and it goes through they're a bit like that they don't match up entirely Um, so an example of this is the myth of Leucippus which is loosely based on a creation ritual where the final stage of their boy's education is changing clothes into men's clothing and that kind of appears in the Leucippus ritual but he's actually been hidden as a woman this whole time and he then changes into male clothing to reveal his true identity. So obviously it's been changed a bit to suit the myth, this is very common, so we wouldn't see an exact replication hmm. normally. And is there a sort of formula for this in Greek literature? Yes, this is a formula by 
Ben Genep, who wrote in the early 20th century. His theory of initiation isn't just focused on classics, he writes in kind of the sociology, social anthropology field, um. but has been applied to classics as well. So Van Gennep's formula for these type of stories or initiations is that they're compromised of a right to separation, right de marge, and right de aggregation. That's in French, because that's what he wrote. Um, in English, it's more like a right of separation, right of marginality, and right of aggregation, which I think translates better to separation, an experience of liminality and a reintegration into society. So for Jason, that starts, I suppose, when he is sent on his quest yes. by his uncle to yes. get the Golden Fleece. He's separated from his home. That's a very common theme in these type of myths. Um, so the in the Odyssey, Odysseus is obviously not in a position to need initiation. He's a grown man, he's fought in a war, he's got a wife, he's got an adult son. He's not the age for a coming-of-age thing, but Telemachus, his son, is. And the first four books of the Odyssey are commonly known as the Telemachia, mm. because Telemachus goes on his journey, and that is widely seen as an initiatory journey as well, because mm. he is separated from his home, mm. Ithaca. Uh, he goes on an experience... Of experience of liminality you could say to houses of other people he learns guest customs and xenia and then he goes back to his home Ithaca where he helps his father slay the suitors and there's an implication from Athena that had he not gone on this journey he wouldn't have been in the position to help Odysseus because he still would have been a child uh... you can see this in the way the suitors treat him as well they see him as a little boy not a threat they make fun of him when he speaks when he comes back they're planning to kill him so he very clearly has cross the barrier between boy and man, so we know something has happened there. Uh, so I see what you mean by coming of age in, in, in that case, so you would still term Odysseus a hero, I guess, but we meet him at a stage in his life where he's past yes. the initiation journey. Yes. So can we assume that sort of happened... Yeah, probably. At some point, yeah. <laughs> we just don't know. We don't know the details, but it happened. I'm sure Odysseus did something great when he was young, and that's why he's so he's famous. Well proved respected. his adulthood. Yes, but now it's time for his son to do it. Okay, yeah. That's the yeah. Fair. Give him his jizz. I like Telemachus. <laughs> he's an interesting character. Have you read Circe, actually, by Madeline Miller? I have not. Because he's, like, a big part of it like okay. the last sort of third Telemachus is like a really major character okay. and I think you'd enjoy the part that he plays in that book actually okay so from what I gather this is about a young sort of pre-hero almost becoming a hero um what is the intended outcome of this it's initiation? their origin story so it's origin. like their origin story isn't it that's the initiation <laughs> it's like a superhero film yeah. where... <laughs> nice <laughs> So the, um, I have a great quote here that I really like that I'm using in my thesis uh, from Graf, and the result of the journey, the initiation, should be introducing all adolescent members of the tribe into the world of the adults, into their gender roles, their tasks, obligations and privileges as adults, and at the same time into the religious, spiritual and political traditions of their society. Mm. Okay. That is the result. So by the end of the quest, Jason or Telemachus should be able to be full adult members of their mm. society, which they weren't before. Jason wasn't living where his uncle mm. lived. Telemachus was living under the pseudos. Mm. That's very true. Uh, what about the fact that part of Jason's journey is, in large part, from a reader's perspective, a kind of love story or a romance between him and Medea? Do, how does that play into his initiation? It is. I think... 
part of the reason that Jason's story is so heavily focused on love is also just because of trends of the time. Mm. Part is, I think a lot of people consider it to be like first like romance epic, basically. I mm. uh, can't say that definitively, but <laughs> a lot of people consider it that way. Um, and I think that represents the gender role and sexual part of the initiation as well. He doesn't only need to learn how to be you know, a good man and a leader, he also needs to learn how to be a husband because that's part of living in a society in the Greek world. Hmm. There's a, an interesting bit in the uh, Argonautica where Jason's going towards Lemnos, which is the island entirely populated by women. And before he goes, he puts a cloak on that has a very long description. It's called an ekphrasis, which describes the images on the cloak and that Athena gave it to him. And this scene is traditionally used in Homer for men going into battle, but here it's used for Jason when he goes into Lemnos to meet Hypsipyle and spend some time with her and have children with her for the PG version. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, we're not PG here at this point. I think we've passed that. Yeah, well, you know, he spends a few weeks with Hypsipyle <laughs> and says, if you have any sons, send them to my parents. How <laughs> <laughs> very Amazonian. <laughs> Well, Lemnos needs men because they killed all the men on their island in a rage from Aphrodite, so they need the Argonauts to come on and repopulate. Does the fact that Jason gets a lot of assistance during his journey undermine his initiation? Does it need to be a sort of solo quest where he does everything himself? Um, no, I don't think him getting help is any different than like the precedent of other heroes getting help. Odysseus get lots gets Odysseus gets lots of help from Nausicaa, who has been uh, compared to Medea quite often as well. Obviously, Medea the Argonautica is very different from Medea and Euripides, but we're talking about <laughs> the Argonautica. She's a helpful figure. Yeah. Um, Nausicaa, um, Odysseus also gets help from Calypso. He gets help, and, and Athena as well. But I thought Odysseus wasn't going through an initiation in the Odyssey. There is other precedent for people who are going through initiations getting help as well, like Thermachus gets given a horse by Nestor, I think it is, mm. and Orestes, when he's returning to um, kill his mother for, to avenge his father, gets help from his friend Pylades. Mm. Maybe it's more common they get help from men than women, but I think in most stories they get helped. I think the main issue with people questioning Jason is not because he was helped, but because he was helped by magic and sorcery, mm. which was a bit dodgy. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, well, in my continued attempt to undermine the heroics of um, uh, Greek mythological figures, what about, since you just brought up Orestes, if they do something bad? Like killing their mum. Like killing their mum, <laughs> yes. Well, we think that's pretty bad, but according to Athena and a court of law, it was legally okay. So if the gods, <laughs> gods endorse it. Possibly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was justified, according mm. to them. And I suppose you mentioned earlier as well, actually, Jason does do some quite horrific things throughout the yes. course of the Argonautica. Most notably, killing Medea's brother. And not in a fair fight, they lure him to an island and mm. ambush him. And there is a very interesting part where uh, Jason does a ritual onto the body, which involves putting blood into his mouth and spitting it over the body to try and stop the spirit from coming after you or something similar to that effect. Lovely, uh, which <laughs> is why it's relevant that the Argonautica ends with Jason setting up a religious festival because even though he has done something really bad, he has gone and done a supplication for it mm. and later he is able to participate in religious events. Mm. Similar with Orestes, he's done something bad, he's killed his mother, but his reintegration in society 
is very literal in that he is acquitted by a jury mm. of humans and gods. So he's very clearly fit to participate in society. It's mm. a big part of this. Um, you, most people don't think Telemachus participating in the slaughter of the pseudos is a bad thing, <laughs> but technically he did mm. commit murder as well. And he is also allowed back into society. So mm. things that we consider bad may not have actually been as bad to the mm. Greeks. Especially for heroes. I really can see why you would talk about this in terms of coming of age. That description really sort of fits what you're talking about here. I think it makes it easier to understand from a modern perspective as well when we talk a lot about coming of age, especially in like film and television and young adult literature. Like It's a very popular theme and it's kind of fun to think mm-hmm. that it was a popular theme <laughs> in antiquity. <laughs> We talked about Harry Potter as well, didn't we, in my lecture? Harry Potter is a a great example of this. He's in the seventh book. He's separated from Hogwarts. He has a liminal experience. He meets Dumbledore at the underworld. And then later he comes back and defeats Voldemort. And he's reintegrated into wizard society. I love it. It's a common theme. Yeah, you can apply this formula to sort of any kind of literature then in, in that case. Could you apply it to, say, Frodo's journey in Lord of the Rings? I've never seen Lord of the Rings. Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I will have to judge for myself then, or perhaps people listening could judge whether they think Frodo goes Mm, through an initiation ritual. Lyra and Will, his dark materials, literally go into the underworld. These are good examples. They leave their home world, go into the underworld, go back into their home world at the end. Ah, yeah, wow. And that is very much a coming-of-age story as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. It deals heavily with themes of sort of, like, youth and growing up. Well, Philip Pullman, who wrote it, was a classics teacher, so I assume he knows about these Ah, type of initiation stories. You've tapped into a whole other episode there. Remember that line from um, Terrius where Procne says that children Mm. live in innocence until Mm. they come of age? Yeah. Maybe you need to kill someone to come to the age? I hope not. Okay. Well, <laughs> speaking of people who don't kill someone to come Ooh. of age, what about women? Yes, that was something I wanted to pick your brain about. Do these initiation rituals ever happen to women? Yes and no. Okay. So it's we're going to talk about Persephone specifically because okay. she's a hot topic currently. <laughs> and some people don't think it's an initiation, but there are some good arguments for her abduction by Hades being a form of initiation. Mm. Uh, some people don't see it as an initiation. Some people do. Uh, there is a good argument for women's initiations being more focused on losing their virginity, um, consensual or through rape, mm. and getting married for the first time or their first time having children because they don't go on the traditional hero quest mm. normally. So for men, the traditional formula is, you know, they go on a quest, they become a hero, they come home. For women, the to apply Van Gennep's formula, the separation would be being taken away from their home, to go mm. in the home of a man, could be an abduction and a rape, could just be getting married. Uh, and then they could, the liminal experience could change to being pregnant, their mm. changing body, and their reintegration could be the birth. Wow, yeah. So there, there is an argument for that. Um, for the case of Persephone, specifically, uh, oh jeez, <laughs> are we going to get into this? Let's open up, um, no, what's the... Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, what is the term I was looking for? Let's open up a... Can of worms? Yes! Let's open a can of worms on Persephone, I'm ready to hear your thoughts. So, with Persephone, uh, she's mentioned the Theogony, but the main story that we get her story from is the Hum to Demeter where she is abducted and raped by Hades. Mm. Uh, when Zeus says, you have to give her back, he 
forces her to eat the food of the underworld, which means she has to stay there at least for part of the year. Mm. From what I gather, though, there has to be some sort of transformation during this process. In Persephone's case, how does she transform from the beginning of her story to the, the end when I guess she splits her time between the underworld and Earth? So in the beginning of the story, Persephone is normally known as Kore, which is an ancient Greek word that literally means maiden or virgin. And by the end of the story, when she leaves the underworld, she's referred to as Persephone. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different interpretations of this. Some people argue it's related to her being identified with a mystery cult, so she wasn't able to be named until that time. Um, but a lot of people, like Bruce Lincoln, have argued that it's because she was Kore, the maiden, the virgin, but after she leaves Hades, she is no longer the maiden mm. and the virgin, so she then gets a name. Mm, that's really interesting, actually. It does sort of raise questions of, um, and I don't know if this is just how it differs between men and women in Greek mythology, but for a lot of these men, it feels like their initiation ritual is something that they take part in quite actively and through their own choice, but with Persephone, it's sort of it's against her will basically she's yes. forced to go through this initiation it is most definitely against her will um we've got the greek right here haven't we <laughs> um let's see so during the abduction of persephone the word used in greek is arpaxo which means literally to steal mm. it doesn't mean to abduct it's almost like she's property here mm. he steals so he takes her away yeah so mm-hmm. and it's described um using harpazian, which is a word for violence. Mm. Uh, Later, when she's thinking about her own abduction, it's described as a caxomenus, which is against one's will. Mm. She very clearly did not want it in the Mm. original text. So it's a very tragic situation. Mm. I wonder, perhaps it's not a very good example, but if I'm trying to think of a, a woman who maybe chooses her initiation, could you say that Medea goes through an initiation? In the course of the Argonautica? Yeah, in the same way that Persephone does, and that she's taken away from her home, mm-hmm. and she goes through her first marriage, and um, there is a scene where her and Jason have their marriage night in a cave, stuff like that. So for women, their initiation is mostly relating to their role as a wife. Mm. I'm just thinking that at least she chooses her husband <laughs> in that case. She does, in That's this case, which of... is very empowering, but she... Yeah. Well, she chooses to go off with Jason, which her father does not want. But in the case of Persephone, Zeus, it's said that Zeus has allowed mm. Hades to do this and take her. I've heard you know, people on the internet say, like, oh, maybe Persephone ate a pomegranate because she loved Hades mm. and she wanted to stay, therefore it wasn't rape or whatever mm. like that. There is actually an argument for it kind of not being rape in the Hum de Demeter. Uh, another god questions you know, whether or not it was anything bad because her father allowed it. Mm. So can she be raped if her father yeah. allowed it is a question. Yeah, oh, but awful. from like you're highlighting from a modern perspective, the Greek shows that she didn't have a choice. Yes. So her father decided for her. Yeah. So it's certainly not her embracing her new no, her new life. Not. Um, when he gives her the pomegranate, she specifically says uh, he gave it to her against her will, using mm. the uh, same word we discussed before. It's really against one's will. Well, it seems there's quite a contrast then in sort of male initiation and female initiation from what from what you're describing to me mm-hmm. in the Greek myths but I guess it's fair to say sort of women and men are depicted very differently and their stories are quite different in Greek mythology from start to finish well I think that brings us back full circle I want to get something for okay this bit. okay
I'm going to turn on the light as well. <laughs> I know, it's just, it's just steadily. We've been sitting here in the dark, but I am going to ask what I always ask my guests on this podcast, and that's if you have a book recommendation for everyone listening. Yes, I do. My book recommendation is The Argonautica. Perfect. Because I feel Full like circle. a lot of people haven't read it. It's not as common as it's, Homer. Yeah, compared to like the sort of archaic epics, it's really not as popular, is it? Which no, is such a it's, shame. It's a great book. Oh, I love it. I agree. The translations work really well. I think it's it's, be, it's able to be translated more fluently than Homer because it is much written much later. Mm. Um, my So because my PhD focuses on how natural imagery is used in the Argonautica to describe initiation and used to characterise the characters... I will read a few lines of what I'm doing. Amazing! <laughs> so this is the quote from when Jason and Medea meet for the first time oh. in the forest. So they two stood face to face without a word, without a sound, like oaks or lofty pines, which stand quietly side by side on the mountains when the wind is, wind is still. When the wind is still. Then again, when stirred by the breath of the wind, they murmur ceaselessly. So they two were destined to tell out all their tale, stirred by the breath of love. Well, that's a pretty beautiful sentiment to end this discussion on, I think. Thank you so much for coming back on and telling me all about how heroes come of age in Greek myth. It was fascinating. Thank you for having me. And perhaps you'll join me in the future to talk a little bit more about Philip Pullman and classics, now that you've brought that to the table. Yes, I'd love to do that, especially because the TV show just came out. Did you watch it? No. (laughs) I will. It's on my list. I I watched it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I hear good things, so... It's on, it's on. Maybe I'll do that ahead of the podcast episode to revise. Okay, good. We've got a plan. Well, I'm looking forward to having you back. In the meantime, Grace and I are going to go do a pub quiz and hopefully win lots of money. And <laughs> Vegetarian tacos. Oh, even better. Who needs the pub quiz? Well, thank you to everyone who listened. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at That's Ancient. And you can follow Grace at Grace N Page on Twitter to keep up to date with all her fun classics chat and excellent cat pictures, mm-hmm. most importantly. <laughs> cat named after greek mythology well there you go you can follow grace and daphne on social media (laughs) and until now and until next time thanks so much for listening